Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We're beginning this particular chapter in the country of Syria, and you will notice that now Naaman captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Now let's stop on verse 1 a minute. Here is a man that's head of the entire military forces of a whole nation. The nation is Syria. He's not a Jew. He's a Syrian. But this passage of Scripture says that he was a great man with his master, but more than being a great man with his master, he was honorable with God. And the reason I say that is that we notice the scripture says he was honorable, comma, and we could almost put the word and there, and because by him, and you could easily put the word if, and because, or I mean of, because of him, because of Naaman, the Lord had blessed Syria, the Lord had given deliverance that is, victory had given victory unto Syria. This man had God's ear and God's eye, even though he was not a Jew of the uh, chosen people of God. He was a foreigner. He was had grown up in pagan religions, but he is identified as a person that is honorable before God, and God had listened to him, and God had blessed Syria, even though they were a foreign nation, because of this one man. He was a mighty man of valor, it says. He had strength, not just physical, but he was strong of mind and strong of spirit. A person who is strong in mind and strong in spirit toward God will have God's ear. This man had it. But, in spite of all of this, he had a problem. He was a leper. There are lots of people in our community and no doubt from time to time inside our church walls that would seemingly have everything going for them. They have power with the political people. They even have power with God, at least to some degree. But they, even though they have all of this, they also have a problem. We do not always escape our problems by being moral and upright and righteous. 
This man, though he was strong of mind and strong of spirit and a great military individual and had God's attention, still had leprosy. Gonna kill him. Verse 2. The Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. Now she wasn't the only one that they brought out. She was simply one of those that had been captured in their military campaigns, of which Naaman was. The, the captain of the army. They had captured a number of the Israelite people and had brought them back captive. When they captured people in that day and took them on those long treks back to homeland, what they did was put a huge hook like a fish hook in the flesh, usually in the shoulder, with a rope to the next one and another fish hook and let me tell you, you kept up or you died on the trek back home to the native land from, to, to where they'd be taken from the captives. This little maid was one of these that had suffered the horrible march in captivity from her beloved home in Israel and from her family, and no doubt had seen many of her family die, had suffered terribly at the hands of her enemies. Just a teenage girl, just like you girls here in the front. And when she got to the land of Syria, Naaman took her as a servant to his wife. And she was responsible for doing the menial things around the house for Naaman's wife. She waited on his wife. You would think that anybody who has been so badly abused as this young girl would be out for spite and could do, would do anything to those who had done her wrong. But we find in her the Spirit of God that ought to be in all of us in that she did not look at those who were her opposers, in this case, her downright enemies, in a manner thinking, I'll get even with you regardless of what might take place, but look at her three. She said unto her mistress, Would God, I wish that God, it is my desire that, uh, that God, my Lord, that is referring to Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Why would she want Naaman to go to Samaria and there confer with the prophet? And she answers our question for us in the last portion of that verse, for he, referring to the prophet, would recover him, that is my captor, of his letter. Now that's Christian spirit in its greatest demonstration that we must keep in mind always in our lives that we will pray for and work for the betterment of all people 
regardless of their attitude toward us, that only is the way Christ will do it. When that attitude prevails, God's will will prevail. And God will bless an individual or a church or a society. She simply said this to the woman that she was serving. And apparently, Nehemiah's wife told Nehemiah. And maybe she told somebody else, but somebody heard and went to the king in verse 4 and told uh, the king about it. Thus says the maid from the land of Israel, there is a prophet down in Samaria that if Naaman could get to him and confer with him, he could be healed of his leprosy. Verse 5, and the king of Syria said, Go. And I'll send a letter unto the king of Israel. Now, the king of Syria made a mistake. The letter was going to the wrong person. The king of Israel knew nothing about how to get God's blessing upon Naaman. It was only the prophet. But the king of Syria doesn't know this. And he calls to mind the fact that many people go looking for a cure to their problems in the wrong place. You know what some people who have problems do? Is they forsake the church as soon as problems arise. If we have a problem, the place we ought to be is in God's house where God is. Not growing up in our shell, in our home, or running somewhere else, and saying, I'm not going to come back to church until the problem's solved. Let me tell you, you become a part of the problem when that attitude is taken. So he brought the letter with him and started toward Israel. And the finish of verse 5, he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. He intended to pay for his cure. And he was going to pay very handsomely. That's a lot of money. I don't know how much it is. And I tried to uh, get that figured out in modern day dollars and did not succeed. But you can rest assured that it's a large amount of money. But notice that he added 10 changes of raiment. In that day, clothing was valuable. You didn't just go down to uh, the uh, dollar store or wherever you might go whatever you want for a little bit of money. You can't go to Sears or to Penny's like I usually do to put it on the charge account when you want a new suit. They were valuable. And so he was taking all that he could imagine in his mind that was necessary to pay for what he wanted, and that was the curing of his leprosy. So he brought, verse 6, brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, now, when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, that's the letter, content of the letter from the king of Syria, the king of Israel, uh, I have sent therewith Naaman my servant to 
thee, but thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Well, if you want, if you want to be cured, you're going to have to go to the source of the cure. And it's probably not going to be the political leader of the land. We're going to have to go to the source. If you have a medical problem, you want to go to a doctor. If you have a legal problem, you'll want to go see a lawyer. But if you've got a spiritual problem, you better go to the Lord. And the real problems in life are not physical. They can be solved with medicine. The real problems in life are not legal. They can be solved by going to court and getting a court decision. The real problems that we face are between us and God when things aren't right between our soul and God's soul. There's where the real problems are. Verse 7, And it came to pass, and when the king of Israel read the letter, that he rent his clothes, that is, he tore his clothes, and that was a sign of grief, of agony, of distress in that day, for people in that day to tear their clothes. And uh, most of us probably would be naked most of the time if we exercised this process today. Uh, they would tear their clothes in this agony. And he cried out, verse 7, in the middle of it, uh, the king of Israel speaking, Now, am I God? Well, obviously he is not God. Am I God to kill and to make alive? But this man does send them to me to recover a man of his leprosy? Well, that's a pretty good question. He obviously was not the right one to come to. But he thought, boy, there must be something behind this that I don't know about. He goes on and says to his wise men, and that's really who he's talking to now, Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Wise men, take this letter and figure out if there's something going on that I don't know about, that he's using this to deceive me. Uh, there is a secret purpose that he must have in sending Naaman down here to me. He knows I can't cure the man of leprosy. What's his real reason? What's behind the dog? You ever ask that question? Really, what's behind all of it? The smoke screen usually gets out in front, and people say a whole lot of things and do a whole lot of things that never touch the problem. And that's exactly what he was doing. He sent somebody here to, to deceive me. He's seeking a court. He's wanting a, a reason and excuse to go to war. All right, verse 8. And it was so... When Elisha, here comes the prophet in the scene. Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent or torn his clothes, and he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Why did you tear your clothes? Let him come now to me. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Listen, I think those last three lines are extremely important for us as Christian people. There ought to be no question the place to find resolution to problems is in the church. The church ought not be the problem. But you go across this land from our church to you name whatever church, and the same story exists problem after problem after problem after problem. It defines one's imagination to understand why that the church is not drawing people to the law. But there's an obvious answer. And that is we're so repulsive that people want to turn us off instead of say, I want what you have. 
This country is going down and down continually. I made this comment that I had heard someone say recently on the, on the radio, and I can't quote it exactly, but he made this point. Unless the church and the home and the school get back to doing what they're supposed to do, we're going to have to become a police state to control people. And I believe it. The home is going to pop, and we know it. Parents have no control over their children in general. They don't know where they are, and many of them don't care or what they're doing. And if they find that they are in something they ought not to be, begin to make excuses for them and try to get them out of it. And that's the wrong approach. The school has failed in that it cannot teach morality. We have sex education, for example, in schools. But they're supposed to teach it without moral judgment. And I say to you, you can't teach sex education properly unless you exercise a moral judgment in doing so. And the church has failed in that we are not the place that people hear the gospel and are drawn to the cross of Christ and plead uh, for their sins to be forgiven, and we see certainly that that must not be true, but it causes across our nation, few people are being saved in our country. We've baptized 41, I believe it is, in the last three years here in this church. That means nothing. Look at the hundreds nearly within sight of this church that are lost and on their way to hell, and we haven't begun to touch them. Where's our success? Why has this happened? Because there is an internal problem. We have gone to the wrong place. We expect something from people when it's God that we need to be dealing with. And the prophet says, send him to me. And he, in this case, represents God. And we, the church, represent God. I can't quote what's on the Statue of Liberty, exactly, but it pleads out to all the nations of the world to give us their poor and, and so on. Listen, the church ought to be reaching out with open arms and say to the world, give us the downtrodden, the weak, the distressed, the lost. We will love them and woo them and win them to Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to try to do in Bible school. That's what our purpose is about. Don't expect me ever to water that down. That's why we're here. The Naaman comes with his horses and his chariots and he stands outside Elisha's house. Of course, Naaman is expecting Elisha to come out and do all kinds of things. Do some hocus pocus, wave his arms, offer a big prayer, uh, put his hands on, on the leprosy and, and do some things. And Elisha in verse 10 doesn't do any of that. Look at what Elisha does in verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan, that old muddy river. The most muddy river, one of the most muddy rivers in all the world is the river Jordan. There is nothing beautiful about its water. They tell me that it is a terrible muddy mess most of the time. Like mud river, I suppose. I don't know. 
or I, where I came from, it was the south fork of the huge river. It was always muddy. The little canal is always muddy, it seems, when it gets into Parkersburg. I notice I have come across it. There wasn't anything appealing about this particular river. But he said, Go wash in Jordan seven times, and your place will come again to thee. Thou shalt be clean. Simple request. Simple command. But Naaman got angry, verse 11, and he went away. And he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and fall in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leprosy. You see, Naaman wanted to name the method of his cleansing. We want to tell God how he ought to answer our prayers. I want to send up my prayer and say, Lord, now this is what I want. This is the way I want you to do it. And this is the time frame I want you to do it in. Listen, we're backing up the wrong tree. God isn't up there simply to, to be the yes man to all of our requests in life. And Elisha was not God's man to do it either. And he didn't bother coming out to see the man. Well, at least he ought to come out and see me. Well, if he's not going to do that, why am I going to go to that old Jordan River and swim in that thing seven times? Then he began to think, I've got a better way. I, I, the rivers back home are a whole lot better than this. Verse 12, Abana and Parfar, rivers of Damascus, they're better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? Listen, God provides only one way to be clean, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. If anybody wants to be cleansed of their sin in any other way, you're never going to make it. There's only one liquid provided for the cleansing of sin, and that was the blood that flowed off the cross. So what did he do? He turned and went away in a rage, verse 12 says. He got mad. So I'm going home. I'm not going to play my way. I'm going to take my marbles and go home. I used to hear that when I taught school. I still hear it. There was somebody wiser than Naaman, verse 13. And his servants came near and spake to him and said, My father, referring to Naaman, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Well, he had to say, Yes, yes, if he had told me to do something great, I'd done that. Well, how much better then when he said, Then wash and be clean? And why don't you do what he told you to do? It's very simple. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, we preach all the time that there's only one method of salvation, and the lost people of this world don't believe us. There's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. But there isn't. What did he do? Verse 14, he went down and he dipped himself seven times, not six, but seven times, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again likened to the place of a little child, and he was clean. I tell you, if you want to be right with God, you're going to have to obey what he says. Not six times, but seven times, if he says it that way. We can't cut corners. We can't be short. We can't go some other direction. He said there is a narrow road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. What does he mean by that? 
because most people say, I have a better idea. I think I'll walk the broad road because it, that must be the right way because everybody's walking on it. But the road that God subscribes to is very narrow, meaning that we're going to have to do it His way. But we're not going to make it through those gates. Here comes a man who is obedient to God, does exactly what God says, and he finds out that he's been forgiven. His body is whole, his leprosy is gone, his skin is just like a, a young child again. He comes back in verse 15 to the man of God, the prophet Elisha. He and all of his company came and stood before him. And he said, Now behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now I know. It's amazing. When one is obedient to the Lord, then he will know that he's serving God. But when one is disobedient, he thinks his way is the only way. And God has got to be wrong. Listen, God's never been wrong yet. Can we be so presumptuous to think that God has made a mistake? If God has made one mistake, none of us need to follow. People have tried to say that this Bible is wrong. Now, I've been accused of saying that statement, which I never said. This is God's Word recorded for our reading. But unfortunately, from the time it was written many hundreds of years ago in Hebrew and in Greek, a lot of the translation has been lost, and we sometimes do not properly comprehend what the Bible has to say. And therefore, we misread it and misunderstand it. But it's still true, and God's Word has not changed. Our concept of what it says may have changed, but God has never changed one iota of His Word. Never has. This is God's Word translated by many, many hundreds of people over the years. And it has withstood the, the test of time and everybody's challenge. There has not yet been one single error discovered that could be proven in God's Word. Historically, scientifically, Religiously, anywhere you want to take it, it's accurate to the key. When man understands, he discovers that God was right all along. We're the weak link. And the problem. When we come to a point that we know that there is a God in heaven that is the God earth, and we walk in his footprints and are obedient unto him, then we can stand up right on our feet and never be ashamed of our testimony. Finally, Naaman came to the place to say, now I know, I know now with assurance the God that is in Israel is the God of all here. Can you say that? That is right. Our Father, my God, we're grateful that we have been given a story about a man by the name of Naaman that has had many of the problems as we have. Unwillingness to be obedient to you. This 
misreading and misunderstanding and being misguided. The Lord help us to overcome our frailties and our difficulties, and may we, as your children, reach out to each other and love and share and believe and act like the world saying that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. For in your name we can win the lost. In our own means, we'll fail. Lord, forgive us our failures. If there is a person in this congregation tonight, like Naaman has been stained with sin, know that in that condition he or she shall die. May they come to the Lord and be immersed in those waters that we call the blood of Jesus Christ who died in the cross. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.